After reviewing the play, the call on the ice stands. We got to go. Okay, fellas, we are set to go. Let's go. We are kicking. Watch the blue. There we go. Yeah, baby. Hey, you got the power play. Get out of here. Hey. 36, right here for the rock. Both guys, five minutes each for fighting. Hey, hey. We're not doing this. I don't want to babysit all night. A little bit of nastiness today. Huh? Nothing good's coming out of this, big man. Have you seen this before? Yes, it's rule something, point something. He's not putting a stick in you. You keep your stick out of him. Here we go. Let's roll, boys. Let's go. Hey, 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 hey. Let's go. After further review, it's the Scouting the Refs podcast. Here's your hosts, Todd Lewis and Josh Smith. When you're ready, big guy. All right, guys, let's drop the puck. Josh, it's been days since there has been a suspension. It's been the goodwill from the holidays is continuing, and we have a lot of evenings that are usually kind of quiet and routine and lengthy NHL season that we have. And then some nights, all hell kind of breaks loose, and you have a whole <laughs> bunch of weird stuff happen all at once. Hey, you know, some of those busy schedules are a lot of fun when you see all the games stack up. But when you have controversial play after controversial play, it's it's almost impossible to keep up with everything that was going on. So thank you, National Hockey League, for stacking <laughs> it all up in one eventful Thursday night. And we have lots to talk about on this edition of the Scouting the Refs podcast. Please make sure you follow us on the social channels. Josh has been very busy on Instagram and on Twitter at Scouting the Refs. That's, of course, the website as well. For me, it's at Todd Lewis Sports on both Twitter and Instagram. On this week's episode, All-Star Refs, can't forget about them, but we've only got five guys on the ice. Hey, put that net back. No kicking, no net, no problem, and helmets are mandatory. We mentioned last week about the upcoming NHL All-Star Game. The Twitter vote is open. Hashtag vote Wes. We should congratulate the officials that were named to the ECHL All-Star Contest. Good for them. Nolan Boyer, Alex Normandin, Brady Fagan, and Colin Gates. They'll be working the ECHL game. We still, though, need some refs for the NHL All-Star Game. And I saw that a lot of people had offered suggestions this week, Josh. It was great to see the feedback out there. Uh, and, and we put it out there on Twitter with other than Wes McCauley, because we, yeah. we know that Wes has a lot of fans out there. So we just wanted to see who else folks want to see at the games. And it was, it was funny to see... Uh, we had requests for guys coming out of retirement. We wanted uh, <laughs> some people wanted like long ago officials. Uh, I had a, a request for a Bill McCreary. Can he come back and work this game? But I think the best one and, and I love this one for the All-Star game and I love it in general. Line changes for officials. Let's get a bunch of officials. Yeah! Let's, let's put them between the benches and we're going to do changes on the fly for the referees and linesmen so that they keep their like, you know, two to three minute shifts going and we'll just let everybody rotate through. <laughs> I love that idea. See, this is the kind of input and feedback we're looking for. That's a beauty. I really like that. Okay, so we'll see what happens once the, the league does get around to naming them. Should, should we get into some game stuff? There were some things earlier this week that I want to talk about before the crazy night. And one of them involved a penalty call against the Edmonton Oilers in their game against the Kings. It got some fans upset. Edmonton got whistled for too many men. They were on the power play early in the second period. The puck's moving up the ice. One player jumps on the ice well before the other exits. Now, there is some discretion allowed in this call, and you've got a good post up about this on the scoutingtherefs.com website. But give us a little more explanation. And Dave Jackson, who is, of course, the rules analyst for ESPN, because they're the only network that has one, gave a good explanation as well. But 
this was the right call in this case against the Oilers. It was, unfortunately, for the Oilers. And it, it is something, like you said, there's some judgment. There's some leeway. We typically see that the officials give changing players five feet of space. And that's under Rule 74 for too many men on the ice. You, you get that five-foot window. It lets you be determined to be out of the play while not physically being off the ice. It keeps the flow going, helps facilitate line changes. So it's it's a good opportunity there to make that transition. And there's often a little bit more leeway. You don't necessarily need to go and measure, but the Oilers pushed it a bit much. The faceoff dot is about 20 feet from the boards, and we had the player going off, Tyson Barry, closer to center ice than that dot when his replacement jumped on. It may have been one of those things that you let go. Like you said, judgment call here. But the player that was coming on the ice, Evan Bouchard, happened to be the first guy to make it to the puck. He happened to be able to keep the puck in at the blue line to get a shot on goal. And neither of those things would have happened had he not jumped on early. So it is judgment. There's a lot of gray area here, a lot of room for interpretation. But I think one thing that Dave called out is there was a competitive advantage gained as a result of the change. So that's what you're looking for here. That's what happened on this play. And that's why it was too many men on the ice, despite there being only five guys on the ice. <laughs> yes, because it, they, they don't have a signal for competitive advantage. If you want to call no, a penalty, right? we don't. But I mean, that's one of the rules that that's one of the guidelines that you look for when interpreting the rules. You know, was there is it a dangerous play or was there an advantage that was gained? Was there a change of possession? Uh, there's a similar situation with too many men. And we've talked about it before on the podcast where a guy goes off at one end of the bench. He hops on at the other end of the bench. And yes, you have that five foot window. But when you're doing that to advance up ice or give your team an advantage, even that can be called a penalty. So, yeah, that's one of the things that the officials are looking at. They have that lens of you know, was there a competitive advantage? And on this too many men, there was. One other incident that occurred that I'm um, not really a, a rules thing, but I want to get your thoughts on has to do with Maple Leafs goaltender Matt Murray, who has apparently been getting an awful lot of attention for his behavior in the crease. This past week, Murray was seen kind of rocking and wobbling the net on the post. There was no penalty called, but it is something that's gotten a lot of attention this year from Murray in particular and some other goalies. But nets have been getting knocked off quite regularly this year in the NHL. Apparently, this video is going to be shown at the GM meetings. It's going to be a topic of discussion. But I'm not sure what else we can do to, A, have a safe environment for the players and keep the nets in place. I mean, you could go to longer pegs, but it would have to be three feet long to keep it from falling off. And that creates other problems. Right. The the more you do to keep them in place, the more dangerous it becomes for players that are crashing the net or that are driven into the post. So it's this hard battle of keeping the posts in a consistent, steady position. You, you've got goalies bumping them and and. It's the goaltender style of play that has changed over the years. That's a lot more involved with hitting the post or leaning on the post or pushing off from the post. So they're they're using the post to their advantage and it's putting that additional pressure on, which makes it more likely that the nets get knocked off. But how do you find that balance there? I mean, the NHL tried magnets years ago, I think up until uh, the mid 80s, early 90s. Yeah. They had magnets in there. They came off way too easily. The marsh pegs have been in there since 91. That's something that the, the NHL's used and pretty successfully. I mean, we've seen a few injuries that have happened, but we also see that they're starting to come off more frequently. So I don't know what the solution is. I know the the goaltender style of play is really what's driving this and it's funny that murray gets busted for it he was actually trying to put the net back on which, yeah. <laughs> which again you know you you've you've brought it up about should goaltenders be the guys doing this should should it be up to them to fix it and we've seen the refs put the net back on to avoid stopping play but we really need arena 
employees and, and guys who can go out there and make sure that the hole is cleaned out and make sure that the peg's sitting the right way to put it back in and, and get the, the right kind of security there to hold the net in place. It's a tough solution to come up with where the nets are stronger for the goalies, but not going to cause any more injuries. And I, I don't envy the NHL for coming up with a solution. Maybe there's something around the, the angle the goalie pushes off of that you can make it stronger that direction, but still break away from the outer sides. I don't know, Todd. It's, it's, it's funny though, when you've got goalies fiddling around with the net in between plays. Well, if they didn't have as much equipment on, it wouldn't be as big and heavy and there would be more goals. So maybe there's a solution there, <laughs> oh. he said, spitballing. Oh, an interesting take. And, uh, you know, maybe if we uh, if we made the nets larger, it'd be a little further mm. to travel and then they wouldn't be touching the posts. So OK, sure. We've opened up and up uh, cans of worms, I think, for uh, for one show. OK, so let's let's deal with the night of crazy. Occasionally, goaltenders have an issue with their mask. A shot gets taken. They take the puck off the melon, the strap comes loose, it's, it pops, it breaks, something. So there's a whistle that comes and then repairs are made. In the game between the New York Rangers and the Dallas Stars, goaltender Jake Ottinger decided he wasn't waiting for the whistle. Play was still happening and Ottinger took his mask off, which drew the ire of the officials because the play was whistled down and Josh he was given a penalty for premature removal. Is that what the call would be here? I, I don't think it's actually premature removal, although I, I do like that terminology. I think that's a <laughs> that's a fun way to put it, uh, and it adequately describes what it is. No, he gets delay of game for equipment, and the equipment in question is his helmet, and it's not that it was broken. It's not that a strap failed. It's not that anything popped off. It's that he intentionally removed it, and that's what the rule book forbids, and Yes, that means that a goaltender may be required to play with a damaged helmet or an unbuckled helmet. But Rule 9.6 clearly describes the situations that when a goaltender intentionally removes his mask in order to secure a stoppage of play, it's a minor penalty for delay of game. And and that's really it. There's not even a caveat that was the mask broken or what was the game situation if he's taken his mask off, he's got to serve the two minutes. And it had happened to Ottinger last night. It's happened before in recent history. Jake Allen, Jordan Binnington. But that's that's by the book. Two minutes. Well, there was a an issue in another game involving the Calgary Flames and the St. Louis Blues. Dan Vladar wound up playing for a stretch without a mask in this one. It's old time hockey. And I guess that's what you're saying is that the guys just have to tough it out. I mean, it's not like the mask was knocked clean off Jake Ottinger. And even if a strap is off, I understand that that's unsettling and upsetting for the goaltenders, but you're still afforded a pretty reasonable amount of protection. Yeah, you might lose some of that depending on how the mask is sitting. And it, it certainly creates a dangerous situation. But the, I think you, you nailed it with the perspective here. A goaltender who loses his mask doesn't even get an automatic stoppage of play. The officials will blow the whistle if his team has possession, but if the opposing team has the puck and they're shooting the puck or there's an imminent scoring chance, play goes on. And, and that's what happened for Vladar. That's also what happened to Arizona's Carol Vejmelka last night, who gave up a goal without a mask. Ottawa's Derek Broussard scored. Vejmelka's mask had been knocked off and play went on. And, and that's the right call by the rule book. So I have to defend the officials here. They made the right call on Ottinger, the right call for the situations with Vladar and Vejmelka. I think when fans are getting fired up is, it's not safe for a goaltender and and it's not a situation where a guy wants to be facing shots without a helmet. And how do we talk about player safety and we don't blow the whistle immediately when this happens? We don't. 
And that's not up to the officials. And it's not a common sense thing. It's in the rule book that that's what is prescribed, that play goes on. And yes, under the current rules, that means goaltenders can be facing shots without a mask. So in the Ottawa, Arizona game, it was Derek Brassard who, who tucked the goal home that there was a, a collision in front of the goaltender. And that's sort of what initiated the bucket coming off the, the, the Arizona goaltender. And Arizona challenged the play for goaltender interference, even afterwards, after the disruption of the mask coming off, the puck going in. But again, they lost that challenge and wound up having the goal count and to have to serve a penalty. Yeah, that was uh, that was a crazy situation. Ultimately, the ruling was and, and it was the right ruling that Broussard was pushed in by the defending player. So once again, we go back to guys, stop pushing guys into your own goaltender. <laughs> I mean, that's that's really what caused it. And you have those situations, you know, we see guys going in, but when you have the defending player who's shoving guys and and creating that contact, whether it's a goaltender, whether it's a net, whatever it is, it's going to come back to the defending team. You can't rule goaltender interference when your own guy shoved an attacking player into you, even if it knocks your helmet off. Just to button up the chip strap on the helmet or the mask, <laughs> if you prefer. I don't know what else we can do if it, unless you call it as an automatic, if the, the the mask comes off or the strap comes loose, that the referees blow it dead initially. But like anything, there will be unintended consequences, such as goaltenders miraculously losing their mask at a moment where there is a glorious scoring opportunity for their opponent. We've seen that in the past. We've seen goaltenders take advantage of the rules. And the NHL rulebook's pretty consistent that there are not any stoppages for equipment issues, whatever the case may be. And I, I, they've been pretty consistent with that. It does create some situations where you have a potentially dangerous scoring opportunity for a goaltender here. I, I think if anything, if, if anyone wanted to look at breaking down the language or figuring out what you do, perhaps you give the goaltender the ability to signal an equipment malfunction to the officials when his team gets possession, maybe you blow the play dead. You know, following the spirit of the rule for a lost, lost, following the spirit of the rule for a lost mask. And if his mask is not damaged, you hit him with delay of game. Otherwise, mm. you you play on. So there might be an area there that that offers a little bit of opportunity to solve for why these guys feel the need to throw their mask off in the first place. But <laughs> if you do it intentionally, you're always going to get called. Yeah, I think that's something that everybody needs to learn is the rules in terms of what is and isn't allowed. There was there was actually another incident in that Arizona-Ottawa game, and Clayton Keller got himself a major penalty and got tossed for a nasty cross-check to the chops of Eric Brandstrom of the Sens. Um, the penalty was warranted, and so was the fine that has been issued by the league, I think. Uh, yeah, that was that was a clear one. And when we're, we're looking at things, I mean, if you want a cheat sheet version, if you're getting five in a game for some stick work, expect a fine to follow after. And I think one of those plays is, is the kind of thing that you want to get out of the game. It's not doing anything from a playing the puck situation. There's no hockey value here. It's after the whistle and it's potential for injury on the play. I, I mean, I guess a game seems a bit much at the same time. I wouldn't mind that line in the sand to say after mm -hmm. the whistle, no hockey play here, purely intent to cross check a guy in the face. I'm good with a one game minimum all around for those types of situations. 
I'd be okay with that. Also not allowed is punching an opponent in the face. <laughs> well, <laughs> so <laughs> it was Mikhail Sergachev who was not particularly thrilled with Connor Garland of the Vancouver Canucks. And after the whistle, there was a scrum and Sergachev landed a right cross on the chin of Garland. There was no call on the play. Is the league able to do anything here in terms of further punishment? Kyle Raymond, what were you watching? I'm sorry. I don't, <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to call out the refs. And I know there was a lot of stuff going on there. When you've got a scrum like this and you've got guys shoving and there's whacking. And, and yes, as an official, you kind of give the guys a, a bit of balance there. You, you took a whack at him. You took a whack at him. I'm not calling that. Or maybe we'll call a matching but in this case, I mean, this is one of those over-the-line moments. This is the gloved punch to the face. It's a two-minute minor. It's a roughing call. It's nothing more than that. Could they find? I think they could. If they do, I don't know that it would be the max of 5000 Not that Sergachev's losing sleep over the dollars here. Hmm. But I'd actually like to see them do it again. This is one of those over-the-line moments. The scrum is kind of balanced. You've got equal jabs and shots from both sides and Sergachev's punch is the one that I think was was a bit more than what anyone else was doing there it kind of escalated things and that's where it ended so to me it's an extra two for him I don't know if player safety will do anything but I, I wouldn't mind it just to send the message of uh, telling guys to not try to take liberties at that moment especially when the officials are in there and already trying to separate going to write that down no punching after the whistle okay, <laughs> I mean that. well come on <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's let's deal with some simple stuff now. How about kicking the puck? It's not a, you're not allowed to kick the puck into the net, but there was a little variation on this during the Maple Leafs and Red Wings game. Early in the first period, it looked like Bobby McMahon, who was just called up, had scored his first NHL goal. The ESPN broadcasters were gushing about this. His dad had joined the team. The father's trip was happening. It was a warm and fuzzy moment. But what was also happening was video review. And on the play, McMahon, he looked to me to be kicking the puck up to his stick to try to shoot at the goal. But it was redirected into the Red Wings net by defenseman Olimata. Referees looked at it, talked about it, went on for a little bit, and no goal was allowed. Take us through this one, Josh. It's a bit of a variation on kicking the puck. It is. And at the same time, it's exactly the same. So we have a distinct kicking motion. I think that part everybody can agree on. It looked like, like you said, he was kicking the puck to get it to his stick to put it into the net. Had he kicked it to his stick, perfectly legal play, perfectly legal goal. That distinct kicking motion unquestionably happened and it propelled the puck. So we have to look at the rule in the NHL for what happens next to a kicked puck that we have the distinct kicking motion. Like I said, shoot it in after that, you're in good shape. If it deflects off anybody else, though, it's no goal. So if it deflects off an opposing player's body, if it, de if it deflects off your teammate's body, no goal in both cases. If, however, it deflects off an opponent's stick, then it is a good goal. So in this case, doesn't matter which direction you kick it, doesn't matter what you are trying to accomplish with the kick, all that matters is where the puck goes next. And there was no turnover. There was no possession or control gained by any player. So we're looking at where it deflected. If it deflects off Mata's stick, then it's a good goal. If it deflects off his skate or any other part of his body, it's not. So once you've got that distinct kicking motion, it's pretty straightforward to see. And the NHL lays it out pretty clearly in Rule 49 on what types of kicked goals will be allowed and what won't, all depending on what it hits next on its way into the net. You know, they probably saved Bobby McMahon from himself on this one because, you know, imagine years from now, it's like, oh, you scored. Your, well, tell me about your first goal in the NHL. Well, right. I was kicking the puck up to my stick and then it was it was kicked in by another defenseman. 
Hey, Dad. That's hey, not Dad, show me, uh, show me the stick that you used to score yeah. your first goal. Actually, son. It's my right skate. Here's my skate. <laughs> Yeah, that's 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 really not a good story. So ho- hopefully he scores a goal soon, and it, it makes for a better story than that one does. Okay, one one more to get to: Panthers and Golden Knights. Florida crashing the net early on in the game against Vegas, looking for a rebound. The puck gets jammed in, but it's after Eric Stahl has crashed into the post, dislodging the net. Haven't we heard about that before? The refs the refs review it and determine though it's a good goal, even though the puck went in. After the post was off. Now, this has happened a couple of times already this year, Josh. Yeah, it's it's been fun. We were just talking about posts, right? <laughs> and, yeah. and we want them to release in cases like this because you don't want a guy to get injured. But it was it was an interesting play. I think initially, I don't know if the officials didn't even see that the puck crossed the line. They saw that it went off and went behind the goaltender. And then you've got a guy crashing the net on one side. You've got the puck getting pushed back in on the other. So a quick huddle, a quick conference. And then, of course, the NHL Situation Room weighing in to determine what happened on this play. It's ruled a good goal. And it's purely because, once again, the actions of the defending player are what caused the net to come off the moorings. It wasn't that a Florida player necessarily crashed the net himself. It's that he was pushed in by a Vegas player. That's what dislodged the net. So we've got a a legit reason to allow a goal. And the Panthers were quick enough on the rebound there as the puck was sitting loose in the crease to get it in before the net was fully off and it was scored between the regular position of the goalpost. So all the things came together to allow that to be, you know, if one of them doesn't happen, if Florida knocks the net off, no goal. If it's scored outside of that, it's it's no goal. But it was with timing, with the position of everything, and with the fact that it was the defending player that caused the net to come off in the first place, you've got a good goal, even with the net off the pegs. We have covered an awful lot of ground in this particular podcast, I think. But I, th- I think what I can sort of take from this is Sometimes you can kick it, but you can't take it off premature. We're done! Good job! You're good, my book. Good stuff, man. Way to work. Yeah, we're good, man. Too long. Let's go sit for a couple. Get in the box. It's the Scouting the Refs podcast. Read more at scoutingtherefs.com. Follow Scouting the Refs on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Scouting the Refs. Email the show at heyref at scoutingtherefs.com. Subscribe, share, and keep those sticks down. Okay. That's, uh, nicely done. That's good play.